the difference between plagiarism and writing a good piece of music is like instead of stealing from one song you're stealing from like six what's up guys it's matt here recently i had the incredible pleasure of interviewing my favorite content creator right now 8-bit music theory A little over a year ago, he released his first video analyzing the overworld themes of the Zelda games, and since then, he's gained 102,000 subscribers on YouTube and runs a highly successful Patreon account. I tried to withhold my excitement that I even had the chance to speak with him. I asked him questions about his transcription process, the value of ear training, how composers can find their voice, and his favorite Beatles album. The conversation was packed full of value, it was a ton of fun, and honestly, he's a really nice guy. I started out by asking him what initially drew him to video game music. I've always loved video games ever since I was a little kid. So, I guess I started transcribing video game music um, in high school. When I started getting seriously into uh, music in general, like, um, like deciding that I wanted to work in music somehow, I would you know, just transcribe songs I liked, um, including video game songs I liked. And I didn't really, uh, differentiate like, uh, if I liked a band, I would transcribe, uh, songs of theirs. And if I liked a game soundtrack, I'd (laughs) transcribe the game soundtrack and, and analyze both. And that was just sort of how I spent my free time as a nerdy, uh, high school student. I really like video game music specifically, um, and uh, around the time that I started my channel is when I really started focusing on it. Um, it's instrumental music, and uh, it's you know listenable to the average person, <laughs> which you can't say for a lot of modern you know classical music. Um, and it's 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 just so interesting to analyze from like a theory perspective because you'll have pieces that are focused completely on one like singular goal almost so like there'll be uh, a song that's supposed to just sound like a volcano level or something like that or it's just supposed to sound like this character and so and they're usually pretty short you know um, so it's really easy to pick apart exactly what in the song is making it sound like a volcano level or like this character or whatever nostalgia is inevitably woven into our love of video game music so i asked him what games left an indelible impact on him as a kid i loved wind waker that was the first game i ever owned a copy of myself and so that one you know i've played once a year probably for 10 years or something um yeah and the soundtrack is great i think that's still one of my favorite Zelda soundtracks, but I guess this came out a little later, but I really like uh, Super Mario 3D World actually has a has a underrated soundtrack in my opinion. And a lot of a lot of recent Nintendo stuff too. The new uh, Mario Kart 8 has an amazing soundtrack. It always kind of it still surprises me. Like I've been doing this for over a year, but it still surprises me every time I see a comment that's like, "Oh, I love your channel." I'm kind of like part of me is like, "Are you really?" <laughs> you know? It's, it's uh, perplexing and exciting in equal measure. Uh, 
I'm a big Beatles nerd, actually. I'm probably just as big of a Beatles nerd as I am a video game music nerd. So Same. when I was, oh yeah, oh absolutely, man. Oh, oh totally. I mean, like that. I went through a period, probably of two years, where that's all I listened to. <laughs> nice. That's all I listened to. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love that stuff. Beach Boys too. Love um, the Beach Boys as well. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Pet Sounds, man. Pet Sounds is incredible. Oh, just one I, of the best. Be Turns out we liked a lot of the same yeah. bands and had a lot of the same influences. And this uh, Beatles geek out session went on for quite some time. It was at like the height of his genius. And it was, yeah, it's just the instrumentation, the arrangement, everything about it is just so good. I actually got an email from Spotify at one point uh, saying that I've listened to Pet Sounds on Spotify more times, or like I'm in the top 5% or something of people. Wow. Just... Did they, did they say we're, we're concerned about you? Yeah. <laughs> we're a little concerned. Seek yeah. help. You realize there are other albums, right? Like, we have all the music <laughs> right. on here. Which favorite Beatles album? Part of me thinks the White Album, because I think my favorite Beatles songs are on the White Album. But yeah. as as an album as a whole, like, my least favorite Beatles songs are also on the White Album. So mm, interesting. It's, it's such it's a tough... It's tough to say, but I'd say I think the good outweighs the, <laughs> the less good, so I'd have to pick the White Album. I'll make you so you know, I think music, and I'm sure you've heard this before, uh, a sort of like a language of sorts in the way that um, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's super abstract, but it is like a communicative thing. And so like if you're learning a language, if I'm learning to speak English, um, you have to learn how to, you know, understand when other people speak English. And I think that's sort of what transcription allows you to do. So like, if you practice, if well, if you transcribe a lot and you get used to hearing, you know, notes and intervals and chord progressions and all this stuff, you get faster at identifying them. And uh, if you get fast at identifying all the stuff, then when you're playing your instrument, like the connection between, you know, the sound I want to hear in my brain and where I know to put my fingers to make that sound, it gets shorter, gets quicker and quicker. And right. that's, yeah. you know, that's that's key. That's ideal. I come from um, a jazz background, kind of, because uh, I, I got a degree in jazz studies as a drummer, so ne I never had to, like, improvise uh, uh, solo knowing notes and, and stuff, which is kind of funny, because now I, I uh, do a lot more transcribing and uh, analyzing and thinking about notes than I did probably in my degree, but... Um, but I had to sit through a lot of the same classes as all the trumpet players and sax players, and I heard a lot of, you know, the advice that they got. And a lot of it is just, like, yeah, try and get that connection between, like, what I want to hear and, like, what note I want to physically play as fast as possible. And I think transcription is the best way to do that. Sure. Um, because you are, you're, you know, it's like ear training and also it's learning vocabulary. Like, no matter what you're transcribing... If you're just doing ear training, like just, you know, having someone sit down and plunk out intervals and then you try and guess them or that or like whatever, have someone play a chord progression and you try and guess it and like mm -hmm. training that way. Uh, it's good. Trains your ear, but it doesn't like if you're transcribing a real piece of music that you actually like, then you're also learning what 
you know, even subconsciously, if you don't, you know, sit down and really try and analyze it, you're still learning sort of what um, theoretically makes up, you know, this piece of music that you like. And so then when you're playing, you're going to have that information socked away in your brain somewhere, even if it's not necessarily something you're consciously thinking about, I think. So, yeah, so I think it's half, you know, your ear training improves or your ear improves and then half you learn vocabulary that you can use when you're writing or soloing or whatever. So, yeah, I think transcription is super important. I, I think it's really fun personally, so maybe I'm, I'm biased, but (laughs) it's, yeah, I think it's important for any musician to do. I usually sit down and make sort of like a lead sheet version first. So I'll transcribe the melody first and then the chords say, or maybe I'll transcribe the chords and then the melody or a lot of the times I'll transcribe the baseline too, because the baseline is pretty easy to hear generally. Um, and, <laughs> and I don't like, this is sort of like a do what I say, not what I do situation. Cause I would never, you know, if I was trying to teach a, a musician how to transcribe, I would always say like, make sure you play your transcriptions when you learn them. Cause that's, you know, important, but I don't, you know, I don't actually do that that often anymore just cause uh, I have to transcribe so much for this channel and, you know, I don't ever have to actually play the music. I just analyze it. So <laughs> I usually just sit down on Sibelius and transcribe straight into that, even though that's not what I would necessarily recommend. I think it's easier to learn if you learn it on an instrument, but I think it maybe also takes longer because the process, you have to add the process of like figuring out where to put your hands, you know, like, um, uh, yeah. So like, well, I guess it's different too. On Sibelius, I feel like I've gotten my ear to the point where I can listen to a song and then be pretty sure about like, okay, so it's this chord progression or something or, oh, okay. So this is the melody. And then I just put it in Sibelius and then, you know, play it to check. And it's usually pretty close. Um, but like this wasn't always true. This, it's actually kind of a recent development in my musical life. So like even in university, if I wanted to transcribe something, there'd be a lot more like guessing and checking involved, in which case sure. it's a lot more helpful to have an instrument on hand to, to mm-hmm. guess and check with. So I, yeah, I think it's easier generally speaking to transcribe like onto an instrument and then notate it. But just for me personally, where I am now, uh, I can kind of, um, work around that part of the process. One of the first things I noticed about his channel was an overarching emphasis on rhythm, which should come as no surprise as he's a classically trained jazz drummer. The interplay between the layers is exceptional at this point too. The drums pair down to a simple eighth note emphasis and the tuba maintains the quarter note pulse with a few eighth note flourishes thrown in. The melody kicks off every bar with the 16th note galloping figure, which is passed down to the trombones for the second half of each bar. I used to have a drum teacher, like in elementary school, who would uh, make me play snare drum solos. So it would just be snare drum, um, like a written out solo. And so Mm -hmm. the whole exercise, I mean, there's more that goes into it, like, um, you know, having the right technique and sticking and stuff. But uh, the whole exercise is basically like, can you read these rhythms? And so the harder snare drum solos were just like more and more complicated rhythms that you had to sure. read quickly. So by the time I got into even like high school band, I 
just had no problem reading um, or notating any rhythm that I would have to uh, notate for any reason. And even in university, like I was always kind of like uh, surprised to find that even the the people who are really good musicians, like killer sax players or whatever, um, great understanding of music and harmony, they would still uh, have just like brutal uh, rhythms written on their um, whatever arrangements or sheet music that they brought in. So I, I didn't really realize, I guess, until I got to university, I was like, oh yeah, not everyone, you know, has that. Yeah. So I have noticed that like, you know, I'll hear a rhythm and just be like, oh, of course that's what it is. Whereas like, you know, my friends in university would be like, you know, how do you notate this and and whatever. It sounds like I'm bragging probably, but um, no, not at all. I mean, I think it's just a different focus. <laughs> well, it's true. It's totally true. Like, uh, it's, it's sort of, it's its own vocabulary, like a rhythmic vocabulary where, yeah, there's only like 10 or 12 or however many, uh, figures that you can fit in one beat. And then once mm-hmm. you have those like locked down, then you start to hear the, whatever, 30 or so patterns that fit into two beats and then sure, just longer and longer until you have, it's sort of the same as like uh, chord progressions. If you know, yeah. what like uh two five one sounds like then when you hear it it's not even a, an issue you're just like oh yeah that's a two five one same with rhythms you know his channel is composed of primarily video game music analyses with the exception of one composition this pokemon reharmonization that you're listening to right now I asked 8-Bit if, after transcribing and taking in all these melodies, if he ever gets inspired to compose. Here's what he said. Yeah, definitely. I get inspired all the time. I mean, that's kind of why I like um, analyzing music so much is because, you know, you find something cool in a piece of music you like or you figure out, like, what makes it sound the way that it sounds. And then, for me, the, the natural... Um, next step after that is like, oh, well, I wonder if, if I stick it into my own song, is it going to sound the same way, you know? So I do a lot of that, um, you know, fooling around. I wouldn't call it composition. Well, I mean, it is, I guess. But. I told him I absolutely loved his Pokemon reharm and honestly would love to see a sister channel set up where he posts nothing but his compositions. Well, I appreciate that. That's, uh, that's really cool to hear. Maybe I'll have to do that. Set up a sister channel. Next, I asked him what advice he would offer to young composers looking to make video game music. Um, I would say to do tons of transcribing. I think that's really important. And uh, and I would also say to not be afraid to um, steal from pieces you like. I know uh, that sounds bad probably, but it's like um, the difference between plagiarism and writing a good piece of music is like instead of stealing from one song you're stealing from like six for your one song (laughs) so i think uh you know like so much so much music that and i'm not this isn't uh this might sound like i'm uh putting it down but so much music is just like built on cliches these cliches allow you to speak to people who are listening to your music because they they know them, even if they don't know they know them, you know? So I think uh, a lot of young composers, myself included, get really wrapped up in trying to do something really unique, you know, and like really like, I want to find my sound. And uh, and it usually doesn't sound that good, in my case especially. But um, 
you know, if you if you take your favorite ten songs and then just steal from all of them, you'll make like some Frankenstein monster song that sounds like all the stuff you like. And in that way, you kind of make your own sound because it's like, you know, not ever like no one else in the world is going to have the same ten favorite songs as you. You know, all of my uh, profs said the same thing. Like whoever you want to sound like as a player, not just a composer, but like if you're a drummer like I was, whoever you want to sound like, just steal all their. And then they play. this yeah. happened. Question: Do you have a cat in the background? Oh yeah, can you hear him? I'm I sorry. can, and you know what's funny is I have a cat, and my cat <laughs> is outside the door, freaking out, meowing. <laughs> so I, I am hearing, I am hearing my cat outside my door and your cat which is pretty awesome. And I like texted my wife and I was like, can you move Charlie? Cause he's, he's meowing really loud. Oh, yeah. And oh, then she's so like, funny. I can't stop him. He's just at the door. He wants to come in. <laughs> well, so, yeah, my cat, uh, he just decided like the second I sat down, uh, at the computer here, he was like, Oh, it's time to be crazy and run around the room as fast as I can. So <laughs> yeah, dude, that's the same. I, I get on my computer and my cat jumps on my keyboard. He breaks everything. Yeah. He like, you know, <laughs> yeah. he, he just like quits all my, all right, back to, like, yeah, uh, like, music. Next topic of discussion, ear training, um, is yeah. Just throw in a song and then try and, you know, hear and sing the, the, the tonic. And it's kind of hard to to teach someone how to hear what the tonic is, you know, because it is pretty abstract. Sure. But it's just like, once you hear it, you know exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like, like you feel it. You, yeah. It's it like, just, it's hard to like quantify, I agree, but it's almost like when you feel like you're home and the most stable you can possibly be, you're yeah, exactly. probably at the tonic. Once you, yeah, exactly. Once you feel it, like you're, you're, you're stable, then you probably got it. But yeah, so then, you know, that's probably like the beginner first step of like, uh, ear training like that. So, uh, you know, after that I would try and, uh, see if I could sing the bass line or, uh, and then after that a little harder is try and sing like the third of each chord or something, you know, just like little games that I'd make up for myself. Yeah. And it's interesting cause, uh, like I think spending whatever, five minutes, 15 minutes every day over a long period of time will improve your ear a lot more than working on it for like two hours once a week. You know, it just takes a long time to, to improve your ear. It's just one of those things like working out or something. At the time of our conversation, YouTube hadn't yet changed their monetization policies. Now that they have, our next topic of discussion is more relevant than ever. How to grow your audience, your channel and your brand. Yeah, so I definitely feel super lucky um, for my channel, you know, success because it's definitely grown pretty fast compared to other channels that I've, I've seen. But when I started the channel, the reason why I did a video game music analysis channel instead of like a Beatles analysis channel or whatever else is because, you know, you look on YouTube and there's so many channels devoted to video game music and such a strong community around it, you know, mm -hmm. of like video game music covers and rearrangements and, and stuff like that. Sure. Um, so I thought there was definitely like, uh, I definitely thought, you know, oh, maybe I'll get more viewership if tap into this um, community. Um, not in like a skeezy way or anything. Like I genuinely like video game music a lot. So it's, it was an easy decision, but 
first video got like 2000 views or something in a couple days. So definitely, I think that was, that was the right call, (laughs) you know, on my part. So for, yeah, just finding a niche that, and, and for me too, like I, I love music analysis, uh, videos and, and, and stuff like that, blogs and whatever. So podcasts. And, uh, I was getting annoyed at the lack of, um, you know, good, music theory content on YouTube, you know, like there's a few people, but there wasn't anyone doing exactly what I wanted to see. And so I was just kind of like, fine, I'll do it then. You know, I mean, it's like any business really, like you just, you have to find a product that people want, but then, uh, like on Patreon, um, which, uh, has been pretty successful too. I think you want to just give people when you're starting a Patreon, you just want to give people the option to give you money so like instead of just having like a reward tier for a dollar saying you know if you do that then all the people who like your channel will give you a dollar but if you think of reward tiers for three dollars or five dollars or whatever um then people who want to give that much you give them like an excuse to do that almost right and i know i that's definitely how i uh, operate too like for buying stuff um if there's something i really like i'll take opportunities to spend more money on it you know, if you just give me just a little bit of a, a reason to justify it, I'll spend a lot more money than I should on, on stuff I like. So so that's where I got the idea for like, oh, yeah, I'll offer my transcriptions for a higher tier and I'll uh, do like the patron request videos for the highest tier, which I did not expect very many people to to be in that tier. But uh, I guess I underestimated <laughs> how much people would want to give requests for videos. So it's funny, too, because like... Uh, for the longest time up until I started the channel, I guess up until a little after I started the channel, even I had, you know, the idea that I was going to be a musician professionally, like a professional drummer or whatever. I, uh, was, you know, hustling for gigs and trying to, to establish myself as a performer and all this stuff. And, and then at the same time in my free time, like, Oh, I should make YouTube videos. I love YouTube videos. I should try this. And then like within a couple months, I was like, Oh, this is, you know, (laughs) This is a lot more uh, successful than any of my musical, um, uh, uh, what's the word? Endeavors. Endeavors, exactly, yeah, ever have been. So so I switched focuses pretty quick. But uh, I had this problem a lot, and I think a lot of young musicians have this problem. And it sort of goes back to what I was saying before of uh, you have to have a product that people want to, you know, want to see. A lot of young musicians are so focused on them and like, expressing themselves and all this stuff and they don't make music that people like to listen to you know sure and uh, especially in the jazz uh community that i sort of came up in <laughs> you pl- you'll play a show and everyone's sort of like in their own world like you know playing with each other and, and making music that they love and that's important but then you know the audience is sort of just sitting there like what is going on up there i would if i had to give myself advice it would be for whatever my uh, previous self past self advice it would be to find something that people would, would like want to listen to that you like to play and that that it's important to play music you love because if you don't love the music you're playing as a performer like it's going to sound insincere but uh but uh if you're just totally wrapped up in what you want like you're missing the point you know you're a performer you're supposed to be performing for people yeah jacob collier is actually a really good example because I mean, I guess some some songs uh, are more listenable than others for sure. But of his, but uh, yeah, like just the the 
you know, I, I don't know. I find a lot of like obviously he's a super genius, but uh, and I you know I love listening to interviews and 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 videos where he's talking about theory and his process because you can totally tell that everything that he knows about theory, which is a lot, uh, goes into serving the emotion uh, of the song. Sure, you know, the yeah. emotion that he's trying to create. So that's. But then also there are some songs like. Uh, you know, where I'll be listening to it and I'm like, this doesn't actually sound good. Like, it's really cool and it's awesome. Yeah. But like, it doesn't sound nice. You know what I mean? <laughs> I asked him if there were any pieces of music that were really challenging for him to transcribe and what made them so challenging. No, it's funny because uh, the, the hard ones, the hard pieces to transcribe are never the ones that you'd expect, I feel like. Like, I was trying to think when you asked the question of like, you know, like uh, something in a crazy time signature or something like that. But those aren't actually that difficult. It's more the, the if I'm transcribing a piece with like a piano and the piano is playing dense chords and it's mixed in a way that it's not easy to pick out like the piano part by itself. Sure. That's so hard, even if it's not like a complicated song or whatever. That's like the hardest thing in the world. Right. But then it also depends on like if you're trying to if you're trying to transcribe every part of the song note for note, like that's gonna be super difficult. But mm-hmm. if you're just like, oh yeah, I'll transcribe the melody and then have the chord symbols on top, like that's a lot easier. So it's definitely like you can you can make anything easier or harder to transcribe depending on how how intense you wanna be about it. But recently I've doing I've been doing a lot of transcribing from um like a disaster piece songs hyper light drifter has a great soundtrack and i love it but it is so hard for me to transcribe for some reason and i don't Mm. know what the problem is (laughs) but just like i guess just the synths the the that he uses just it's so hard to pick individual notes out of these chords and the chords are so dense and yeah and like overtones and stuff and yeah so that's been giving me a lot of trouble lately but (laughs) And also, I did think of one that uh, was challenging in the way that it was crazy. Like, um, uh, what's it called? I think it was called The Betrayer from Shovel Knight. And it's like the final boss theme. It's just like 30-second note, six tuplets, like in, in weird dissonant harmony that just like flying through the whole piece. So, The next thing I asked him was what tools he uses to create his content. Now, dear listener, I want you to take one thing from this. This fine gentleman has built up his channel using very cheap, if not free, tools. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. The lack of gear is no excuse to not create. I mean, for notation software, obviously Sibelius is uh, something that I use every day, so (laughs) I couldn't live without that. It's a lot easier than doing it by hand. Um, For sure. Or, yeah, pen and paper. Um. For the video editing, I use uh, HitFilm Express because it's free. Um, I mean, there's like a pro version or whatever, but I I get by just fine with the free version. And it's actually really like, uh, I mean, maybe, I don't know how it stacks up to like uh, whatever, Sony Vegas or whatever a real professional video editing software would be, but... uh, before that, I was using Windows Movie Maker for my first like five videos, so uh, it seemed it seems super professional to me, you know. <laughs> I record all my audio in Reaper uh, because it's also free. I realize I'm coming off probably as kind of a cheapskate, but 
No, man, you're coming off as someone who practices fiscal discipline. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really, that's super that's important in the business. That's perfect way to put it. Well, Reaper, it's kind of funny because Reaper, uh, they let you, it's not free. I shouldn't say it's free because the trial version is just identical to the uh, the paid version. And yeah. they just say, there's a little window that says, oh, you've been using this for however many hours without paying for it. Consider paying for it. Um and I have paid for it. I, I want to make this clear. I bought Reaper on my old computer, and then I got a new computer and re-downloaded it and didn't transfer the license over and just never transferred the license over. So, gotcha. So you know in free. your heart. You know in your I, heart that you own <laughs> Reaper. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I feel absolved of, of my uh, sin, but... Uh, but it's kind of funny because every time I open it, there's like a the little box that comes up like, oh, you've been using... But it says, oh, you've been using Reaper for approximately like 4,000 hours or whatever. <laughs> just gets more and more ridiculous. After this, we laughed about DAWs a little bit more and then said our goodbyes. All in all, 8-Bit Music Theory was super humble guy. I don't know if this had anything to do with his Canadian descent, but it definitely made me like Canadians even more. He seemed like the kind of guy that would laugh at your dumb jokes at a party, even though they weren't funny, just to make you feel better. He uh, genuinely seemed interested in what I had to say, and he actually thanked me for the interview. I want to recap some of the really cool things that he said, because I think they're super valuable and important to take away. The first is the value of transcription. Transcription can be done by anyone, for free. Sibelius is the app that 8-Bit uses, but you can use the free app MuseScore. I use it and it works fine. Find some song or group of songs that you like and commit to transcribing them. Learn them on piano. Learn them on guitar. Study them. Analyze them. This will increase your musical vocabulary and the quality of your own compositions. If you're a young composer looking to quote-unquote find your sound, focus more on taking bits and pieces from the songs and the artists that you admire and that you want to sound like and putting them together in sort of a Frankensong monster, as 8-Bit said. If you want to make a living creating music, remember that you have to run it like a business. Doing music as a hobby for self-expression that's fine. You can make, but if you want to make something that you can sell and make a living off of, you need to realize that you are serving an audience. As 8-Bit said, you are a performer, and by definition, you're performing for other people. Keep that in mind. Thanks so much, guys, for listening. If you liked this, I would love a like, subscribe, and go ahead and comment below what your favorite part of this interview was. And I'll see you guys next time.